Hello, and welcome to another edition of The Week in Review. I'm Esty Wicket, and I'm joined as ever by Luke Perry. Luke, how are you, sir? I'm very well, but enough about me. The, uh, I think the weather report is um, a requirement nowadays, because as we have said multiple times, it's been vindicated by the, the viewer base, and it annoys Curzon. It although we are, although we, we are on quite thin ice, probably, with the viewers right now. <laughs> okay, well, um, perhaps we could cheer them up with the with the weather report. Now, um, I, I think we are comfortably in the uh, the twilight of summer now. The searing heat from oh, the um, yeah fr- from July and August has dissipated, and we are just in the uh, cool retreat into autumn, which fits our wardrobes more than any other season, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, starting start to see leaves on the floor. So. Cheery, cheery, cheery time. Uh, Mario Lagos, how are you, sir? Well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know what? I haven't been asked that back to me before, so I'm not sure what what to say. But uh, Because no, people no. care about the weather report, that's why. Yeah, so, I mean, Mario, you, you haven't made any comments on the weather yet, so, I mean, do, do, do you wish to? Not particularly. Right, I mean, so... with, with, with the room you are you're filming in, I mean, well, it's hey, like look. a CIA blackout chamber. The well, curtain is drawn. Have you have you seen the weather today? Or no, I'm in week? my I'm in my nuclear bunker until we get to COVID restriction level one. It came down to <laughs> two today, so I'm feeling optimistic that I might be able to surface in the near future. Well, hey, I mean, new curtain by name, new curtain by nature. He, <laughs> Mario, Mario will, will be the counterweight to the to the weather reports. Um, Speaking of weather, so we just just had the uh, the August bank holiday, and and with it comes um, the probably the greatest cacophony of carnage that this nation sees on an annual basis, uh, the Notting Hill Carnival. Um, before we get into it, people say, "Oh, you guys are all from you know the southwest or the home counties. You, you don't know what's up." Well, I, I used to work in Notting Hill, and I, I witnessed the aftermath of Portobello Road after said festival, and it was just a completely grim sight to see it's rubbish and graffiti and smash glass pretty much everywhere you get to sort of shimmy around various obstacles to even get to work um but this year that we were quite a flush with videos online of of the, the particulars of the carnage um i saw a, a massive crush from outside a window with two lines of coppers just completely unable to do anything i saw fights uh bus bus stop um, falling over on, on someone's head and uh, a murder. I, I didn't, we didn't see the murder, but uh, a, a rapper was um, a rapper from from Bristol who'd, who'd made way into the area was uh, was killed at, at the festival. So uh, I guess it was a pretty normal year. There was also a police officer who was sexually assaulted by the, the, the year well. Yes, yes. There was Mario. I think my screen froze. Hold on. Okay. Is that one quite what, what, what did Mario just say? There was a police officer who was sexually assaulted by multiple men at the carnival. Yes. Um, which, again, to sort of base the question, you know, it, it was a, a female officer, which, again, you know, it basically it was, is, is it, you know, I mean, you can talk about diversity in the force until the calcium home but is it actually fair and decent to send a woman who who weighs at best 110 pounds to sort of try and take on these people no way i mean i've seen this a lot 
I mean, in the real world and on just various YouTube clips. I mean, they know that the diversity isn't making the police force any safer or stronger. And they always position this uh, young female officer, probably just out of university, and to acquire qualifications that have real no use in the police force. And they stick her right next to a, a big bulking bloke who just looks like the um, the, the policeman of old, but only two, only one strong copper cannot turn the tide against a, an avalanche of carnage, as seen by um, the Notting Hill. Now, these just any festival, be it a, a music festival, even probably a sports game, a good number. An influential number of the people in attendance are on some form of narcotics, and so it turns them into, in effect, rabid animals who are who are incapable of showing any remorse, knowing their knowing their surroundings or being an actual safe member of the public. I remember I was work, I was at work once, and um, there's in a restaurant in the East Anglia. It's near Huntingdon, so we always have an influx of a festival goers for the the Secret Gardens party. Well, I, I was informed by one of my managers that uh, two, three years ago, uh, they uh, found someone crying in the toilets because he couldn't find the way out. Now, if you can imagine someone to affect someone so badly like that, but a drug that influences aggressive behaviour like, say, marijuana, for instance, which, or whatever they're sucking from a balloon, it's, it's just going to never be ending carnage, particularly when you have that high number of people in the area and so few cops trained to handle that large crowds or just any disorder at all. Mm -hmm. It does ask questions too about the nature of police training where, I mean, we, we spoke about, you know, uh, recruitment, whereas once upon a time you had to be of a certain height and build to even begin to train as a, as a copper. Um, but also, you know, um, for every day that the, 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 the police are, you know, learning about things that have nothing to do with policing like you know like sort of reciting the the, the state religion then that's time that they're not being spent what sounds like that is being spent training them to actually handle a dangerous situation um i mean just some so, some numbers here i mean uh dozens of officers were assaulted during the um the events um more than 200 arrests made obviously the aforementioned murder uh two female coppers were sexually assaulted and the police broke up between two and three hundred fights over the weekend seized dozens of knives um you know it's bad when the met police are, are, are actually trying to do something about this in the future you know um i've seen calls for the uh carnival to be moved to an enclosed area like hyde park rather than to have it sort of let loose in the streets where once it begins to kick off and get a bit volatile there's just nothing the cops can do because there will never be that many cops in london uh that's not the Met Police, as far as I know, that's the Met Police Federation, which is essentially or effectively the trade union for the police. Right. Okay. Um, I'd be very surprised if the Met Police do come out and say something along those lines. There's a few interesting things that we've gone into there, women in the police force or in other areas of similar role and responsibility, uh, drug use and so on. The thing with women in the police force is it's obviously a nonsense to send four foot five women out to try and tackle six foot five blokes who can throw them around like a sack of potatoes. However, there is a room for women in the police, particularly at large events. Um, I don't necessarily mean riots, 
this is allegedly a carnival after all. Uh, but it's unfortunate that we have to think in terms of always having the most uh, physically able, the most uh, brutal, the strongest and the biggest policeman at all times, because we ought to, or we should have, or ideally we would have, a society in which we police by consent. But that's all gone out the window now in large swathes of the country. So in these circumstances, you do need brute brutishness. The thing on drugs, I don't think the problem is marijuana. I think the problem is people off their nut on coke and speed and whatever else. Um, who, uh, and that's really the thing, you know, we've talked about the, the drug use, the sexual assaults, the stabbing, the riotous behavior, the vandalism. Um, and you saw every minister, even these so-called hardline ministers like Priti Patel celebrate the Notting Hill Carnival, you know, tweeting out about how she was delighted to see a wonderful and enriching festival of Caribbean cultural, whatever it is alleged to be. Um, no other sane country on earth would celebrate this show of rampant crime and debauchery as a festival of culture. Mm. It's the fact that it's celebrated, tolerated, um, is a sign of the times, if ever there was one. Mm. Well, I mean, it, it it wasn't always. I mean, the the police strategy around the carnival used to be around preventing it entirely. Um, I believe in 1976, I was reading that you know the police took a really heavy-handed approach, and the festival was sort of cut short. Um, whereas, as the, as the police, particularly the Met Police, has become Increasingly liberalised over the years, add to the mix as a succession of um, liberal mayors. Um, the the event will just be continue to be allowed to happen almost as a, a sort of. It's almost one of those things that kind of feeds into the general pattern of um, demoralisation, where you know you know it's wrong, you know that it's a violent weekend of carnage you know people die at these things people get stabbed and robbed at these things um there are public displays of you know various sexual gesturings and dancings but you, if you attempt to say it's anything other than you know as i said mario a, a enriching celebration of caribbean culture you will be sort of almost put in your place um it's it's part of a wider trend of you know you are not allowed to say the obvious for fear of repercussions so you begin to accept things that you know you know to be wrong hence becoming demoralized it's interesting that you say that um that these massive festivals that the authorities backing the good up the so-called good old times wanted to prevent them in the first place so i remember reading about um a woodstock that's uh, a craze festival that took place in upstate new york in the, the late 60s so the, the birthplace of no illicit consumption of narcotics at parties and the, the sex revolution and uh, of course the, the rock music was getting to emerge now i'm not one of these like southern evangelicals think it will rock you who think rock music will rock your brain but that was just the the party culture that was getting ignited at the time and it, at the time it caused such controversy but to us I mean, it, it's just a, a fairly safe music festival compared to Notting Hill. And what, what I will, will go on, and I know some people get done for the crime of noticing, but hey, I'm a rebel. What is Caribbean culture being celebrated over here for and not, say, in Jamaica or Barbados? Again, it also ties into why you need a brutish 
police force to deal with all the trouble that unfolves because policing by consent can't happen in a low trust so-called multicultural nation because mm. there will never be unanimity on anything. Mm. Well, the, the reason that Caribbean culture is being celebrated is because the population of London is minority white British. And I don't think it would be... You see, the problem is, is that nobody was asked to assimilate in the first instance back in the 50s, back in the 60s and back in the 70s. So you can't then come down now and say uh, there is a particular civic order and a particular form of cultural assimilation that you must ascribe to. It's too late. So in that sense, I'd almost say, perhaps counterintuitively, it's completely legitimate for Notting Hill to have a celebration of Caribbean culture because it's more Caribbean than it is uh, London. Yeah, I mean, also, it, it's it's obviously it's recently confused with a lot of the social trends around, you know, uh, the, a perceived fight for justice. I mean, it should be said that Portobello Road is the main road in Notting Hill is directly in view of Grenfell Tower. Um, which it, itself sort of took on a live its own after the, after that um, sort of horrid event there. It, yeah, it's it's. I, th- I think you're right, Mario. It's it's almost it's it's rather rather than it being a display of sort of defiance, it's one of dominance. Exactly. Right? It's like one one weekend a year, two million of us will pile into one neighbourhood, cause untold carnage. We will you know assault coppers do you know. Just have a complete playground for for um, gang associated violence, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, and I almost don't begrudge it in the sense that people have the right to celebrate their own culture, oh, yeah. and they live here, and they have every right to do so. What they don't have a right to do is gyrate on police officers to sexually assault them, uh, to rob, to steal, um, to take and sell drugs on a mass scale, um, and that's what needs to be dealt with Mm. dealing with that as we said it will get you accused of um, numerous social offences that the police are terrified of being caught out for yeah but most most sort of most tellingly you'll you'll get a lot of that from people who call themselves conservatives yeah no you will get that from con inc they will you know that they will they will throw you under the bus without with, without a second thought and you know it, it it comes back to um luke you'll probably be aware of this but it's a wicket's litmus test and it's um uh person a claims to be uh conservative or right-wing um he then meets person b who is more right-wing than he is if in the ensuing debate person a takes on uh leftist dialogue and moral frameworks and he fails the test and that is sort of i think mean, most Tory boys will fail that test. Case in point, if you you know if you refer to Notting Hill carnivals in any other than you know vibrant, then you you will become you know you'll become sort of someone that they can scalp for a bit of you know uh, dopamine points. You're allowed to sort of criticise it a little bit, but you must do so in a way that 
and again makes the collective look even better. So you can say that, oh yeah, Notting Hill vibrant a show of a of our diverse lands, but there were just a few bad apples. Yeah, who you, were causing trouble. You then have to blow smoke up the arse of, of Notting Hill as an area for the yeah. rest, of, like the the rest of the year. The, yeah. the, the criminals have undermined the festival, and in that sense, they're the real racists because they yeah. made the entire event look bad. Which is which is funny because we were saying before the record that. It, it started out as a riot. Yeah, it starts. It, it started out as a series of race riots in the late fifties. The the thing about what people might remark uh, when they talk about a situation like Notting Hill, and in relation to whether they're real conservatives, is an interesting one. On the one hand, you do have these genuinely wet conservatives, so called, who uh, possibly authentically believe that it's a couple of people ruining it for the rest of us, or secondarily are arse lickers who eventually want to become an MP. Um, then there's uh, another kind of commentator. I retweeted something from Neil Oliver recently, who was otherwise very intelligent, but tweeted that the, the final plan of the World Economic Forum was to close chip shops and garages, you know, by, by shutting down cash or something. Uh, and then the third type is people who want to go further, but are restrained by Ofcom and social media rules. And I think are sometimes unfairly labelled conic, um, who probably have some serious opinions under the bonnet. Mm. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's only so much I can fault someone for essentially being Havel's greengrocer. Um, but I mean, ultimately, the conclusion that you must come to is, you know, is you having this cushy job in London more important than ultimately... <laughs> I don't want to say, want to say it, but national survival. Well, let me give the example of Tucker Carlson. I'm not saying that you've said he's conning, but, you know, the, in certain circles, everybody's conning. You know, you can travel to a point where everybody is a sort of mirage or whatever. Uh, you know, some people will say that. Then. Would it be worth him taking one step to the right and getting his whole thing cancelled? You know, I sort of think about it the same way with particular personalities who are on TV uh, in, in, in this country where you can't be right-wing at all. You know, I actually think, possibly controversially, that Sophie, I don't know what her second oh, name Oh, uh, Cor Corcoran. Yeah, Corcoran, Corcoran, whatever it is. Uh, you know, she's actually quite ballsy, actually. Um, when she says talks about immigration and things, and I'll say, why is there a housing shortage? And she'll just say, because there's too many immigrants. Just reflexively, she'll just say it. True, she'll say that, but I mean, it's 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 one thing about you know bringing attention to certain trends, but it's another it's another thing to you know are you elevating or <clears throat> or lowering the the level of thought here? You know, um, when someone like Sophie Corcoran, who is you know far closer to the megaphone than any of us are, despite the fact that you know I I think there are cognitive magnitudes between <clears throat> between us and her in our favor you know um if you sort of allow someone like that to be the spokesperson for a certain set of policies or a certain set of you know um certain set of moral frameworks then is that ultimately not an own goal because this is someone who rhetorically is very limited has a very limited understanding of 
sort of the actual philosophical backdrop of tr like traditionalism and reactionaryism. You know, this is someone someone who maybe maybe read Scruton and one one book of Scruton. You know. Well, I suppose what you're saying is in a modern television radio landscape in which a small group of people or even just a couple of individuals book all of the guests and use the same people five times a day across different channels, talk radio, talk TV, GB News, so on and so forth. Do we want the person who espouses our particular point of view, which I think we just sort of tangentially agreed on to an extent, to be Sophie Cochran or somebody like her? Well, well, the, I think the, she can be on the options. team. I think she can be on the team. You know, I, I think it's good to have an actually authentic working class voice. I, I think she. The, the, the thing isn't about getting rid of her. It's about adding more people to the team. That's kind of how I would envisage it. I think what has sort of united the so-called it's, it's, it's such a broad term nowadays, but just the people who've been cancelled, the people who've been burned by the, the dominant culture, who have sort of flocked to uh, the, the so-called right, or uh, at least shook hands and acknowledged their existence. The people like was Bill Meyer, J.K. Rowling, for instance, Kathleen Stock. These are, in effect, people who have been eaten by their own revolution. Or even, so even we need to sort of draw yeah. the line of where... Um. They're being eaten by their own revolution, or they can be genuine allies and are trying to create a better world, not sort of take us back to the the era of Spice Girls and whatnot, just this party 90s atmosphere before things went to hell. So we've got to find out where that divide is. Well, I mean, and then I, pick our allies accordingly. I suppose that it was a, a, <clears throat> a matter of tact, though. I mean, there, I'm sure there is some tactical benefit in having people like not even not even necessarily you know people who are on gb news but even someone like stephen crowder or joe rogan or ben shapiro brett weinstein you know people who for all intents and purposes would you know would take us back to the early 90s end of the cold war era but ultimately you know because their way of describing things i mean and also they are describing the same thing as us it's just you know they often get the semantics are off but i suppose tactfully what they do is they are the initial step in the right direction but but ultimately most people will just stick in that place and not move any further whereas ideally they would sort of start there and then move out there's kind of like a gateway drug almost yeah i know the uh the, the sort of the lefties back in the 2018 2019 when trump was your president and um the social media was being you know scrutinized more than it ever has been and they were talking about people like jordan peterson being a, a gateway drug and i'm thinking yeah that, that's good i mean i think we've all started in similar locations before you know drifted into the, the real nitty-gritty of the issues at, at hand in our world today yeah and uh, yeah yeah, I mean, you no. Know, for 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 me and probably a, a lot of people, it was Brexit that you know, kind of, yeah. you know, something that on the surface was quite skin deep. You know, just a matter of you know, do you want to be part of this supranational block or not? Um, then sort of went into, oh, hang on, there's a whole beast here that's sort of you know, been ravaging my society for decades. You know, um, but but again, you know, I, I you know, just just by virtue of the conditions, I I, I was sort of. I didn't have to just stick in that one place because, you know, Brexit naturally ended and other things took its place. But I mean, there is some utility in Con Inc, but I mean, the, the way it works, kind of like they gatekeep the right, not, not us. 
Yeah. If we're talking about conning in the sense of immediate political power rather than media power, then I totally agree and more. Um, and as you were saying, Brexit exposed people like Anna Subri and Cuck UK or whatever the hell they were called. Cuck, yeah. Um, yeah. Who still make up 70 to 80% of the Tory party. Mm. Um, that is that that uh, manifestation of conic. Those aren't people who are perhaps withholding particular views because of Ofcom rules or playing a particular game. Those are people who are fully signed up to um, perennial Cameron Blairism and they need to go. There's no doubt about that. Mm. The other interesting point was about um, people like J.K. Rowling, perhaps Kathleen Stock was mentioned, perhaps uh, there's this particular uh, trans individual who is always, always on television and radio and online arguing against trans people, the sort of the right's favourite trans person that they deploy so that they can be plausibly, deniably non-transphobic. I happen to think these people are completely useless just completely useless, pointless entities who should not, not be entertained and should just be binned off. I, it, it, it defies, uh, I, I think the only reason they do it, and this goes back to Ofcom, is so the television stations can say, look, yes, we, had, we, we wanted to have a segment which was criticizing trans people, but we used a trans person to do it, which shows the wide spectrum of debate. Other than that, I cannot comprehend, or we used a feminist to do it, or we used, is it, uh, you know, one of these uh, fat lesbians from the 90s sort of people to do it. Like Jermaine Greer. Uh, more modern than her. Some of these like ones that go on pride parades with with provocative, um, right, yeah. you know, I can't, I don't know their names. Uh, Julie Bindle and people like that, hmm. you know, the, the serious dykes, if I can say that. <laughs> no, no, I can't. mean, the... the... <laughs> what, what Conic does, sort of through its own DNA, not through you know off-com or popularity points, is try to play into the left's mindset. It's to say, oh no, we're not racist. Look, we have this this black person who thinks that institutional racism is nonsense. Here, go on, mm. speaking to the megaphone. That's yeah. what they do. They play <laughs> a, a identity politics <laughs> game <laughs> and they set themselves up to lose. They're just wheeling out uh, Calvin Robinson like it's like he's Hannibal Lecter or something. <laughs> I, I, I mean, they do, and I think the Daily Mail does wheel out Julie Bindle as well. Like every time, you know, J.K. Rowling has a five trans activists on Twitter. They're like, "Oh, Julie Bindle's here to talk about the erasure of women." Everyone, get get that draft out, update it, send it off. Yeah, I mean, but like that sort of brings us quite nicely into the, the final boss battle of Conning, which is. The mainstream, you know, right wing parties, um, mm. the GOP in in the US, who I mean, to the credit, are magnitudes more effective than the Tory Party. But I mean, you know, obviously, Ouch. despite living in a in a in a American satellite state, we are still British, and you know, the Tory Party is still our ruling party. And you know, I mean, if you want to see this point kind of proven incarnate, it is the last twelve years of government where um, every so often you get a bit of red meat thrown your way in the form of you know, some anti-immigration rhetoric, but ultimately all, all arms of the mainstream right are ultimately weaponized in favor of pervading liberalism. Because I mean, ultimately what they envision going back to, if, it's, if going back at all, is to sort of pre-woke liberalism. Yeah, they want to dance to the Spice Girls, that's it. 
Yeah, the, the, the one to watch Fresh Prince, want to dance to Spice Girls, want to, you know, listen to Suede, Blur. The, um, well, look, you know, if we could, re- if we could return to the 90s, uh, uh, culturally, uh, in terms of free speech, uh, in relation to um, particular other things, it would be a vast improvement on what we have now, even though it would be a first step. But the, um, uh, I've lost my thought with that uh, unnecessary tangent, so perhaps somebody can well, uh, you, you can think you think uh, you can rebuild the train track. Whilst I just say this, there is what why they are. Uh, why we we say they want to return to the nineties and sort of put a bit of an insult into it is because, well, look, look at history. The nineties led to this, which led to this, which has led to where we are today. They just want to they just want to turn the clocks back to a, an impossible moment, which mm. cannot happen. Mm. Which I mean, I think also the same can and probably should be said about trads just from a practical point of view in that you know um i think that there obviously there, there are two ways of sort of depicting traditionalism one is a simple you know simple return meme which is just delusional at this point the idea that you can undo you know two or three centuries of, of modernity is just laughable um the other one being you know that um in effect, we threw the baby out with the bathwater, and certain things can and should be recovered, which is which is which is you know the the more uh, palatable version of it. I mean, you know, ultimately, all we really can do is mitigate what's already here. I mean, you can't turn back the clocks because you know you can't you know, going back to the nineties would involve you know reinventing the iPhone, which is you know, you, you're not going to do. That would be a vast improvement for society. Oh. Although I recalled. Oh, what what I was going to say. Somebody posted this on Twitter. It was an excerpt from Nigel Farage writing in the Telegraph. And I didn't go on the Telegraph website to authenticate this, but I'd be shocked if somebody mocked it up. Uh, and it read to the effect of Nigel Farage predicting that his spiritual successor would be fighting a political war against demographic change. He predicted that would be the next step for mainstream right wing. Uh, party politics in this country and this is apparently something that he wrote on the pages of the telegraph so um when we talk about the final battle being con inc it's interesting that nigel farage takes the view that the next manifestation of opposition from without on the right side to con inc will be as he put it in his words i believe less moderate than him well, yeah, I mean, I'm excited now. Well, no, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, even just look at it objectively. I mean, you know, there is only so far people can be pushed before you know they they flock to one of that. I mean, they already have with, with with someone like Donald Trump, who you know was still attempting to moderate himself some to some degree. I mean, but I mean, give it 10, 15, 20 years, you'd have someone who just fully takes the mask and goes, "Nope, this is what we're doing." And, I, mean, yeah, I, 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 I wonder. I wonder what would happen if, like, I mean, the BNP and EDO at one point did have council seats, uh, and I wonder what would happen if um, they they had that sort of similar campaigns today in this environment, an environment where we all know that grooming gangs are real, an environment where we can see greater see the effects 
and the negative impacts of, of mass immigration and with the tech and with you know, the technological devices we have at hand and news being in sure going back mean, forever in history we can see politicians you know, being hypocritical or, sure. I, I just wonder and of course I think the biggest point is that the the brush of racism just just wouldn't work it it didn't it didn't stop Trump it didn't stop brexit so how powerful would the EDL and the BNP be if a vote was put up today and well, they didn't it, have the it, bad tarnishings it it depends though Luke I mean you mentioned you know like what would happen if you know if we now that we know what we do about grooming gangs I mean well ultimately being correct or being vindicated as correct doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win you know you you know I think it's it's important not to underestimate what fact checkers actually do which is you know essentially it's just perception you know and um and, and 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 through that you can kind of make the good bad and the bad good so it kind of doesn't really matter you know mm-hmm. i mean like like the laptop that was that that was found in america was definitely hunted by his laptop. you know it was his laptop right mm-hmm. that was evidently true from the start yet the fact that it was true didn't change anything because you know that posed a political threat to the dnc therefore it was stifled the other thing about grooming gangs and this idea that if there was a political force with the resources to stand in seats the country over and wage a serious campaign with television adverts and um, canvassing and all the rest of it, that they would win votes on the back of revelations about grooming gangs. Um, you know, the problem is that we have accepted grooming gangs and terrorism as a um, feature of living in 21st century Britain, partly because of the way it's um, reported on by the news media, um, which is to say, you know, if Greta Thunberg farts, it's 24 seven news. I mean, it was rolling news and it's a catastrophe. And David Attenborough comes out and he's a national treasure and he's on TV all day doing the media round and the ministers have to launch a COBRA meeting and there has to be a 30-year plan to tackle uh, too much nitrogen in Dutch soil. Um, but people being raped and killed right now, today, on a mass scale, um, people have quite paradoxically just subsumed into their understanding of life as yeah, well, a feature. It's like one, um, what Sadiq Khan said, uh, it's like terrorism is just a part of living in London now. And it's just, it's like that we've we've grown numb to it. I know um, when Charlie Hebdo massacre happened, I think it was like in 2015, it was shocking. Mm. And and that, you know, spawned a million man marching protest led by Francois Hollande. But every single attack since, you know, there's been a like a, a memory concert for the, the Manchester Arena bombing. But it's, we just, we just, we do brush it aside like, like it's nothing. Yeah, response, and you hear, oh, a car has ploughed into several people in a, in a major city. Oh, I wonder what it could be. And I wonder if it will happen next year, which it will. I mean, like, how many times had you heard the phrase mostly peaceful prior to like 2013, 14? Yeah. And, and now it's sort of like whenever there's a spray of violence that just spills out, be it from terrorists or, or, or riots or, you know, just generally wanton criminality. You hear, you hear, but you know, not all mostly peaceful. Um, again, you know, in, like a, a very big part of the propaganda of the regime is perception management. I mean, they can't 
ultimately tell you to believe to disbelieve your lying eyes but they can you know, shift things around and say yes this is but this is a, this is a unique thing this is not da, 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 da. um th these people will just ultimately lie or at least you know editorialize the truth i mean it's like um luke you and i had that joke way back when it was still in the, in the sort of the lockdown days actually, when people were first talking about the um the wef and klaus schwab but you know you you joking that there's a fact check you know saying klaus schwab didn't say you know you will own nothing and be happy he said you know ich bin dusch you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's precisely what fact check is uh, another joke i think originated from stephen crowder was that uh, uh a a piece says that uh trump's tower of mcdonald cheeseburgers wasn't 50 feet tall it was in fact three feet five inches yeah that's that's a semantic synopsis we're up against everyone enjoy if you look at the response to the Manchester Arena terrorist attack, they said, don't look back in anger. They got everybody out to do a vigil. They sung the Oasis song. They had the vicar there. He was saying, we can't be angry. We can't change our laws because the terrorists will win. We can't change our way of life because that's what the terrorists want. We can't react in any way. We can't take any sensible measures. We can't uh, look at the root causes of these persistent attacks. Um, we just have to carry on, keep a stiff upper lip and go about your business. That's the British thing to do is to do absolutely nothing and don't get angry. Notting Hill Carnival, which we were just talking about, is now a 50 or more year long commemoration of a sort of a relatively minor incident of violence uh, that was... Uh, led by white people they've been reacting to that for sort of 60 years you know when Stephen Lawrence was tragically murdered you know did they say don't look back in anger let's not change our laws no they upended the whole thing to this day Stephen we had a Lawrence, revolution uh, well yeah I mean, probably, we, probably we, did good things in many areas but they didn't say don't look back in anger and let's not change it no. well, yeah I mean but, but also it, it kind of goes back to the liberal tactic of you know using the using the courts using sort of backroom uh, tactics I mean the the McPherson report changed policing you know pretty much forever you know um at least until now to the point where um certain methods of policing which while you know antagonistic did actually kind of work were just thrown out in favor of you know sort of community policing you know with the community being the key word rather than policing and as a result you know most urban areas in this country are just lost yeah, yeah they're shitholes can i say that <laughs> because the police have lost order on the streets um they've police totally in the end were never order. meant to so well, they've lost respect too. Go on, Luke. Well, I was just saying that. Sorry, to point. But the police, the new generation policing now, of course, the um, how mechanisms of force work is you have the grunt to um, and the muscle to enforce the the law of whatever the higher ups they be that the military or, or or the police, the higher ups and the police from the nineteen sixties onwards did not want the police to be effective in stopping crime. They wanted them off the beat. They made crime a social ill. So, you know, if there's a stabbing at Notting Hill, it's to do with systemic racism or whatever. Mm. And I think me and you, Sam, were talking about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. It's that uh, you just spray disorder and crime 
into your localities and it'll make the people fearful when the people are fearful you can get them to do anything well yeah i mean there's there's sort of a, a revolutionary history in that um very many times revolutionaries have just sort of emptied prisons and used the sort of the, the burly thugs that they freed to destabilize the streets um, i mean the, the soviets did it as well um there is sort of something quite effective about allowing criminality to go on as it is while also harassing and penalizing members of the public who otherwise are non-violent and law-abiding who just happen to express you know an opinion that can be seen as offensive yeah. what's well, they called anarcho-tyranny isn't it and i, I don't like that, that word at all because the anarcho implies that it's uncontrolled it's not it's it's a selective tyranny which in the end is what tyranny is you know the the, the best example for me in recent times of this phenomena and there are dozens every single day hundreds every single day thousands a week are uh, is a lady who was in her vehicle and extinction rebellion stop oil um whoever the hell they were were blockading the road and she very gently touched just touched one of the blockaders didn't cause abh she wasn't charged of abh or gbh no damage it was just battery it was it was which is the same as a, a physical touch just a, like the placement of a hand could be a battery um in particular circumstances and with a particular context um and she was disqualified from driving and all of the people she was convicted of battery and disqualified from driving battery of motor vehicle or equivalent and of course all of the people blockading the road went off scot-free you know the police are coming over saying would you like a cup of tea can we help you would you like some assistance we're going would you to like car. some extra adhesive glue <laughs> sure and you know if if a member of the public tries to prompt them you know please could you kindly stop breaking the law then they are the ones who are incriminated you saw the other day uh the this uh, um uh, uh just stop oil people smashing up petrol stations and all the yes they're, they're destroying the carb machines um, if you just um i'm not advocating this but if you were the owner of the petrol station and you wanted to defend your property with proportionate force i guarantee you're going to jail i guarantee it oh yeah yeah because because you can't defend yourself in this country. I mean, that, that was the case of the, uh, I think about 20 years ago, that the farmer who was defending his property from a bunch of burglars in the dead of night with his young children in the house. Can't see anything. Burglar walks up the stairs, shoots him dead, point blank range. You can't miss him, of course. You can't keep him alive. And he was arrested and charged with murder for what was essentially self-defence. Now, I don't really like the wording at all, like proportionate defence, I think, in some cases you accuse, I'm not sure what it is, gross proportion or something. But the, the, the law of the jungle still remains. If someone enters your home with a machete, he's not coming in to pry the door open or spread butter on his toast. He's coming with a dangerous weapon and your life is at threat. If, if regardless of what his intentions house. are. Also, on on the point of the whole um, like BP thing, where, you know, um stop oil were you know destroying the car machine there's a very good chance that bp are giving money to these groups you know oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're very bankrolling some activist fund which gives them money you know 
and they're not bankrolling uh, anti-lockdown marches, for instance, right? Because, you know, it's sort of, it's a big, big reason as to why there's this massive discrepancy in, you know, the treatment of protest groups, where it's essentially predetermined. And the ones that we find to be discomforting have, you know, massive backing, both institutionally and corporately. So they kind of won't really face any any comeuppance. I mean, like um, um, Adams is very good for um, talking about the 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 relationship between art and activism. Where recently, several iconic British paintings were effectively vandalized by activists, but the owners of of the galleries are on board, so nothing will happen to them. Well, the owners yeah. of the galleries where, where it's formally institutionalised is they, uh, rather than defacing the painting or even removing it, they place a placard next to the Anderson War Hero to say that, oh, this person was a racist, his cousin's brother's dog was involved in the slave trade. Yeah. And uh, you, when you look at this painting, this majestic of beauty, you should be horrified when you look at this and ashamed that it's in your museum and we must perhaps remove it one day to conquer systemic racism or whatever yeah we'll uh we'll decolonize jmw turner from british galleries oh. yeah we talk about the british sense of fair play but the justice system is completely perverted it's the in particular circumstances not all obviously there's sort of um perhaps a white pill on this issue, although perhaps not because it's an old case, but there is a very interesting case which shows I think the instinct of British people tends to be towards sensible decisions. It's often the magistrates that are sending people down or acquitting people or um, endorsing particular defense tactics that um, breach the law as was the case with the Colston situation. But there was a very good case that's worth knowing about which occurred in the UK before handguns were banned prior to a mass shooting that occurred in Scotland. So I believe this would have been in the 80s. And the defendant was called Owen in the case. What had happened was Owen's son, who was a toddler or thereabouts, had been run over by a truck or lorry driver who was driving on bold tyres without an MOT uh, in hazardous conditions over the speed limit and with one eye everything you could possibly imagine. And the driver of the vehicle which killed the child was sent to prison for a short prison term. And when he came out, he boasted to Owen about having killed his son and mocked him. So Owen pulled out a pistol and shot him. (laughs) Uh, And he went to court and was totally acquitted. He walked free. Even though he said, I shot him, I admit to it. He walked out of that court free man because the jury agreed with him. That's the kind of common sense we need to get back to, not that I'm endorsing shooting people. <laughs> You've rendered me speechless, Mario. <laughs> me I think, too. I think uh, on, on that, that's a good note to leave it on. Uh, we, we, we've gone for about 45 minutes here, so it's, it's been quite a long, uh, very long. Uh, I've noticed I've lately our, our episodes are getting shorter and shorter. They're becoming 30 minutes, 25, 23, 22. What's happening here? Well, no, the, then Mario joined and it's back up to, you know, three-hour marathons. You can take up that argument with our boss. <laughs> well, um, until next time, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Cheers.